Tell You What, the podcast, where we talk with musicians about songwriting and music making. We have a fun episode for you today, Danny Aubert and Ian George, who make up the Oregon-based contemporary folk duo, Fellow Pinans, are our guests. I really enjoy getting to do in-person interviews. There have been fewer of these in the last couple of years. I was down in Kansas City in May for the Folk Alliance International Conference is an annual music industry gathering that brings together folk and roots musicians from all over the world. The artists play official showcase sets during the afternoons and early evenings for audiences of festival and venue bookers, radio DJs, agents, record labels, the occasional podcaster, and their fellow musicians. And then, later in the evening, several floors of the hotel are taken over by industry folks who host a series of shorter sets by the various artists 15 to 20 minutes at a crack. So there are, at any one time, 30 or so different artists playing in all these hotel suites. And folks are wandering the halls, popping in and out of the rooms, discovering amazing new music. This goes on until the wee hours. Music is scheduled and playing until 3 a.m. or so. It is a little nuts. This was my first time at the FAI conference, and I had an absolute blast. So the very first set I saw at one of these late-night shows was this wonderful duo, Fellow Pinans. They are a young couple who live off-grid in tiny homes with their two children near Ashland, Oregon. They've spent a lot of time over the last few years traveling through Ireland, Scotland, and England with their kids, playing music and discovering traditional songs taught to them by local folks they met along the way. I was captivated by their short set, and they mentioned that their songs all had great stories behind them, but they didn't have time in the allotted 15 minutes to tell them. So I went up afterwards and asked about the story behind one of the songs they had played, The Galway Shawl. When they had played it, Danny had held her phone up to the microphone while a recording played of a woman who sang the first part of the song. Danny then joined in, singing harmonies with the recording and eventually singing the rest of the song herself. The way they found this song and got the recording is a great story. You will hear them tell it themselves in our conversation. So I had a grand time all weekend at the conference, and I was not actually planning on conducting any interviews while I was there. I prefer to spend a fair amount of time preparing for interviews by doing a deep dive into the music of my guests, and I had not done much of this for any of the artists before going to Kansas City. So there I sat on Saturday afternoon in the lobby of the hotel doing some work on my laptop when I saw Ian and Danny, whose set I had really enjoyed a few nights before, walk through the lobby. In that moment, I was struck with the notion that I should interview them. As I saw them walk out of the hotel, I looked up their email address, sent them a message, and a few hours later, we were sitting in my hotel room having the following conversation. 
I'm so glad I acted on my impulse. It was a great chat, and I made two great new friends in the process. So Danny and Ian, fellow Pinans, recently released a wonderful album, Lady Mondegreen, that is made up of traditional songs they collected on their travels, recordings that feature their arrangements and interpretations of these songs. There are some absolutely beautiful tunes here, certainly worth your time to check them out. As I said, this was a fun conversation, and I encourage you to stick with it to the end. You might notice I do not include a portion of the song Pretty Polly in there when we discuss it. That is because I got Ian and Danny to play the entire song live in the hotel room there at the end of the episode. It sounds great. So let's get to it. Here is our Tell You What discussion with Ian and Danny from Fellow Pinans. Though it's only show her all right, Danny Albert and Ian George, fellow Pinans, welcome to Tell You What, the podcast. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Thanks for being here today. Let's set the scene. We are here in Kansas City, Missouri at the Folk Alliance International Conference. We're here in the, the uh, Tell You What satellite recording studio opulent digs we have built for you here, right? It's lovely. We're overlooking the dancing waters, and I don't know if you knew this, the uh, international industrial headquarters of the Hallmark Greeting Card Company is across the street, isn't that? Yeah, I, I, I think I was in there. I think they have a cool, like, do-it-yourself room for kids. I think some of the songwriters here could get a side gig. Yeah. Writing some greetings yeah. for the greeting card industry. That's a brilliant it's a idea. giant complex. If they if they had their wits about them, they'd set up a booth here. They would. They would. <laughs> Give free pens out. So this is my first Folk Alliance conference. I think you two have been here before. Let's set that scene a little mm. bit. This thing is a little bit crazy. Yeah. We are up in the middle of the night, right? There, there are sets and music being played. There are official showcases in, like, conference rooms. Then at night, we race around the hallways to hotel rooms, right? Yeah. To the wee hours. I am not a young man. I think that's clear. I am usually one of the older people at a music event that I go to. I am definitely not the oldest person here. And these older folk people are killing me. They are up till <laughs> 2 or 3 in the morning, right? Yeah. These things. I know. It's so attentive, been here every year. watching everything. So t- tell us about how you feel about this event and, and you've come back so obviously you like it here yeah this event this is our second time the first time we were here was with an older band we were in a set we called it a seven piece contemporary folk orchestra okay yeah it was quite quite a thing to be in a band with seven people um yeah my memories of it back then that was what five six years ago mm-hmm. Okay. Way more people. Yeah. I remember the hallways stuffed at night for the the private showcases. Yeah. Like constantly just moving around groups of people. And it's not the case as much this year. I mean, we probably are at half capacity or less Mm -hmm. this year. But yeah, I think my perspective on this place is a community builder. Right. More than anything. I mean, we've met so many friends here and people we stay in touch with in, in so many ways. And, of course, we're here to get gigs, too. Right. Like that's It's an industry event. For sure. Like, that's mm-hmm. that's just the honest response. We're yes. here to further our careers in music. Yeah. 
and at the same time have a lot of fun. Yeah, the the night showcases are just so fun. It's yeah. I just last night I saw so I, so much music that I didn't even know existed. Yeah, and just walking down the hallway and popping my head in the door and what's oh what's that and whatever you know whatever drew me in is just what I went in to see. And yeah. It's so fun. I've just been feeling so much joy being here. And we see 15-minute, 20-minute sets, right? Yeah. For those of us with attention problems, it's kind of a perfect setup, right? <laughs> to, to jump from one thing to another. Yeah, it you, is. You get to dabble. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of for the artist. It's kind of like a just do with what what you have. Mm-hmm. You're usually just thrust on to a 15, 25-minute yes. set. The I, sounds I discovered you two the other night. <laughs> Not randomly, I'd heard your music before, but I saw your set and you were thrust into a situation there. There was yeah. very loud music coming from the room next door. Yeah. There yeah. was a, a woman in the, in the small crowd requesting that the doors be closed and certain things happened during your And the set. host didn't want to close the doors. <laughs> <laughs> but you may do, and, and it was we, a great set. We thought it was going to be acoustic and then realized it was going to be amplified right <laughs> right as we're going on and oh we just went for it. And yeah, but you know, we did our best and... That's all you can do. That seems like how, how they all are here. The private and the official showcases. All the people I talked to, their official showcases, they get this small amount of time to sound check. The mon- like, they're not, nothing's perfect sonically. Right. No, you can't hear very well on stage because you just don't have time. But yeah. it's all about just just making it work. Yeah. And the vibe here I, I found amazing, that the friendliness and, and accept. Uh, openness of everyone here to meeting people and accepting all the different kinds of music has been really heartwarming Mm. for me. I agree. All right, let's go back in time a little bit, talk about your backgrounds, and um, maybe specifically like how you found your ways to the kinds of music you're playing now. Not many people your age are pursuing this kind of music, so how did you you end up on this path? That's a great question. Yeah, Ian and I have somewhat of a similar story. Okay. And uh, so I didn't grow up playing folk music, and neither did Ian. We didn't grow up in in musical families, although Ian's what family, was, they were music appreciators. Right. So he was, he was exposed to a lot of music. I had... It's like my dad's religion. Yes. I would say his music. <laughs> yeah. Beatles. Like, yeah, Marvin oh, Gaye. Yeah. Nice. Miles Davis. Gold Train. Yeah, and I had one CD growing up in my family's household, and it was a Motown Greatest Hits. You could do worse than that. Exactly. (laughs) I was like, cool. If that was it, that was it. You know, radio was pretty good in the 90s. So, you know, I had that. So radio and, you know. Something happened. Yeah, well, I was in choir. Okay. All throughout. Church choir all the way, high school, did all the choir things. And then I was in college. I was exposed to people jamming a lot, improvising. I, I was just made friends with all the musical, you know, people studying music. Okay. And so there was a lot of jamming happening, and I kind of got into starting to be feeling confident playing a little bit. And I mostly just did things. I would improvise on the piano. I didn't know anything. Okay. And, and that was all the way through college. And there was a certain point where I decided I wanted to play guitar. So graduating college, you didn't feel you had proficiency in any instrument yet? No, okay. not at all. I felt pretty confident singing. Yeah. And uh, yeah, but there, I started to get exposed to folk music through the Grateful Dead. 
There you go. And I loved the Grateful Dead in all through high school. And I started finding Jerry Garcia's other projects, like Olden in the Way and his stuff with David Grisman and with John Kahn, these like boot, I collected bootlegs. Mm -hmm. And so these little rare bootlegs in the very acoustic ones were the ones I loved the most. And I started going, that was my, those were my pathways in the internet. I wasn't really on the internet during that time. I wasn't Googling, trying to find what's this, what's this. It was all just from like bootleg tapes, talking to people. I would go to the music store and just look. And, you know, I found Alison Krauss just at the music shop. And I was just seeking. I had no idea what I was looking for. I didn't have anyone in my life that could help guide me in that way. I was just like, felt like I was looking for folk music, but I didn't know what I was looking for. You didn't know what it was. I had no idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... When I met Ian, I was still in that path of okay. looking for for folk music. But you had picked up the guitar by this point. I had started playing guitar, and then I transitioned to banjo because I was at a music shop looking to buy a guitar and ended up buying a banjo instead. <laughs> by accident? <laughs> but, yeah, pretty much. <laughs> I pulled it off the wall, started playing it, and the music store owner was said, Hey, how, how long have you been playing banjo for? Oh, that's good. I said, This is the first time I ever touched one. And he goes, You better buy that banjo. <laughs> and I did, and I never played guitar after that. <laughs> you still don't play guitar. Not really. Yeah. I'd like to. I'd yes. like to get back into it. Play a little guitar. A little bit. Well, I do at home on my couch. I'm going to take this opportunity to ask you what a bazooki is. Yeah, if, so. If I pronounce that so properly. I, Ian and I both play bazooki, and it's. I kind of describe it as like the one that I play, like a big. A big mandolin. Okay. Like a, also to know, some people call it an octomandolin. Right. The one I play is one that our friend built. Mm-hmm. It looks like it's got a guitar body, but the bazooki originally is a Greek instrument. And then, yes. But then, like, was it Donald Lunny? Donald Lunny. That brought the Irish or the Greek bazooki to Ireland, and then that got infused into Irish music. Okay. And the, so the Irish bazooki was really what I was exposed to and the stuff that Donald Lunny would do with Andy Irvine and Paul Brady and that mm. whole world of, of music. And that was how I was drawn into wanting to play bazooki. Okay. Yeah. Have you ever listened to that album? Andy, Andy, Andy Irvine. Irvine and Paul Brady's Paul no. 1976 release. I suppose I should. It's, it, is, it is top five favorite albums of all time. For both of us. Wow. And, and for, the, for people that know of this album, it exists as yeah. like a holy the gold recording the gold. It, it's some, yeah. some perfect mixture of Time. just musical yeah. prowess yeah. and arrangements and just sheer talent yeah. in, these, in all these four musicians on it it's just absolutely stunning well I guess I'm going to be looking into that <laughs> yeah all right we've heard part of your story Dan yeah, yeah. Ian, let's go back yeah how you found your way so yeah folk music for me is similar I started playing music when I was 17, and I almost didn't start because I thought I missed the ball. I it was too late. Yes. Being 17, I thought the world was done when I hit <laughs> my 30s, right? Yes. So I was like, I've, all my friends had been playing for years, but I got a Stratocaster, or a knockoff Stratocaster, for my, for my birthday, my parents, when I was 17, and I just wanted to play Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd, The Beatles. Right. Grateful Dead. I was really into music from that era. And I would just learn solos. And through the Grateful Dead, I found the side projects, oh, Old and In the Way. Same Literally, story. Pizza Same Tapes, story. Yeah. Tony Rice, 
Yeah. Grisman. Yeah, John Kahn. Mm-hmm. I mean, all, that that was my that was my doorway into folk music. And yeah. then I mean, I'm sure it's a common story I, I among Grateful Dead fans, mm-hmm. but yeah. it's interesting mm-hmm. that you both have that. that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that was my way in. And through it just that just <clears> cracked <throat> it open for me. And and then I got really into when I was a teenager, jam grass. Right. I loved Railroad Earth mm. and Yonder Mountain String Band. Yeah. And I would say Jeff Austin, the mandolin player from Yonder Mountain, yes. is what inspired me to play the mandolin. So after a year of playing electric guitar, playing at bonfires with my friends, I was like, everyone plays guitar. There's six guitars here. I need to do something else. Right. So I transitioned to the mandolin, moved out to Eugene when I was 18, and was in a slew of bluegrass bands as a mandolin player. And... With the big band, we were in the seven-piece band. I was predominantly a mandolin player. I played bazooki as well. But, yeah, the guitar started coming back in for me, like, five years ago. But that that, that was my way in, was through Jerry, into kind of jam grass, and then into pretty much every form of folk music. What about songwriting? Where did that kind of mm. come into it, and how? Yeah, I think... Right, and when I started playing music, I started writing songs immediately. Yeah, it kind of happened. Were you always singing too? I started singing about a year into playing music. Yeah, I yeah, I was surrounded by some friends that were really good musicians in as a senior in high school, and they we would all go out into the Minnesota forests and make bonfires and get wasted and play <laughs> and sing. Play, yeah, sing. We'd yeah. sing. I mean, really, that's that's what we did. Play Grateful Dead tunes. And it was just so around me, so I thought I should. So this was Minnesota. Yeah, Minnesota. And Danny. Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. Okay. But you met in the Northwest. We met in Oregon. Yeah. Okay. After you met, how long did it take you to figure out that you both had this similar <laughs> musical story? Oh, probably right away. Yeah. Probably. We met at a, at a music gathering, at a, like okay. a music gathering in a house. Danny was passing through yeah. town. There was this Welsh woman that had always inviting me to come to her Celtic song circles. Yes. She had invited me for probably a year. And I never went. But finally, one week, I went. A Kaylee. It was, it was like a Kaylee. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, there was drink and fire. And we just sat in a circle, actually, and exchanged traditional songs. Yeah. And, I, I mean, I was 20 at the time, I didn't have much. Probably played the three that I knew. <laughs> Danny was passing through town and was there. We sat and played all night. We didn't exchange a single word that night. We only played. We gave a hug and left. Didn't exchange contact. She went to California the next day. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. And she passed through two more times in the following couple months. And every time she passed through town, we intersected. We ran into each other. It was meant to be. It really yeah. was. Beautiful it, story. Yeah, and then the third time we finally exchanged contacts, and then we spent a month. The, her third time passing through, I convinced her to stay. She kind of shacked up with me, and we didn't leave each other's side for 30 days. Is there a song that is about this? this she is, wrote a song. Okay. She wrote a couple of them. Actually, some great ones that kind of are hidden. All right, now we're going to jump ahead, because we're here to talk about this project you embarked on that led to this album that was released yesterday. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, mm-hmm. by the way, Thank Lady you. Mondegreen. Did I get yes. that right? So I'm going to do a short version of the story, and then we're going to dig in. Great. Okay. 
you two and your children, right? Yep. Two mm-hmm. children embarked on a 10-month adventure of song collecting, traveling and living in a van throughout Europe, the UK, and Ireland. Yeah. Right so far? Finding traditional songs that you then interpreted and ultimately recorded for this project that became this album. Mm-hmm. Correct. That is the short version of yeah. what you did. There's a lot to dig into here, yeah. right? There is. Let's start at the beginning. How do you, as a young family, come up with this somewhat audacious plan? Yeah. What was the germ of the idea? And at what point did you say, oh, I think we can actually do this? I think... We have a tendency to be very adventurous. Okay. And Obviously. Sometimes, and sometimes, we, I mean, we're very much the kind of people that say we're going to do something and we do it. Yeah. And sometimes we get ourselves in positions where we're like, oh, shit, this was a lot. Yeah. But we're already in Europe. Really ambitious. We're just going to go for it. I mean, the original plan was to move to Scotland, Wales, or England. Okay. When our, this old band of ours, Patchy Sanders, broke up, I mean, we were kind of road dogs. We were touring all the time. Our, you know, our life planned, with that band, with yeah. that, with that yeah. band, and our life being planned out a year in advance all the time. All of a sudden, our docket was empty, and we could do anything. And we thought, let's leave this small town in Oregon and move to Europe and okay. do something different and connect with the traditional music over there yeah. that we're so inspired by. And the original intention was to get a ha- like rent a house and potentially stay there for the long term. And I flew out before Danny and the kids to scope out towns that we would want to live in so that when they arrived, we could just go right into a town. Mm-hmm. But I couldn't find any place that would rent for less than 12 months. And that felt very overwhelming to commit yes. to a year in a town that I know very little about. So by the time they flew out, I didn't have any... There was no plan. There was no plan. <laughs> and uh, well, he he had bought a car, right? He yeah. had bought a car at this point. Yeah, a little Honda Jazz, and yeah. So he had he had the vehicle that we could land in. It was but, very small. But going to Europe and going on some kind of adventure was one decision, but doing it intentionally to do this song project was some another decision, or was it all wrapped up together? In a way, it's like, yeah, now I'm thinking about it. There's, there's two trips that we did. They were both based around collecting songs. Okay. Um, this album is including songs from both from trips. From both trips. Okay. I'm going to interrupt for a yeah. second. Because you said collecting songs. In your, in your bio... I mean, it's a slight detour, sorry. No. In your bio, you say song collectors, some other yeah. things. Do you consider this a vocation unto itself, collecting songs? Like the world needs people to collect, find, preserve these songs for future generations? Or is it just part of just part of what you're doing as musicians? You don't really think, think of it big picture. I think it's both. I think these days with the internet, I think there's so, many, so much collecting that's been done that, like, the songs that we're, we're playing on this album, I mean, there's a couple obscure ones, but in general, a lot of these have been done. Yes. Like, a lot, you know? And, mm-hmm. like, a lot of the songs that we found along the way, they've been documented plenty of times, okay. you know? So yeah. I do feel like the actual docu- the documentation of these old songs in hopes that, that the, they won't die out, 
I think the work's been done. <clears throat> yeah. In general, I mean, perhaps there's still some older folks in very like remote parts of Scotland and Ireland that other kinds of people that don't perform on stages or go sing down at the pub that are still carrying obscure songs that were sung to them by their grandparents. Right. I think that's that's that still very much exists. Yeah. That's possible. That there are some songs, perhaps, that haven't been documented. That was not the intent of this was project. not the intention. But the intention was to learn songs and have the transmission be person to person instead of us just finding songs from recordings. Okay. It's a very different Yeah, talk about that for a second about yeah. the person to person aspect. I think it's it's a for me for both of us, it's a different relationship to the song. I think it hits hits home a lot deeper when the transmission from of the song from one person to another is done by sitting down and teaching it and yeah. not being able to just rewind a recording and remember writing it down and remembering it. But like one of the songs on this album, Bonnie at Morn, is a song that I learned from a woman who it was sung to her from her mother or grandmother as a lullaby. And we sat on the beach and I didn't write the lyrics down. I didn't record it. I remembered it because she sat with me for two hours and helped me and talked about all the Scots words and what they mean and the history of the song. And for me, I'm much more inspired to want to carry the song with me and sing it, as opposed to not having any relationship with it and finding it on a recording on Spotify or something. The bird is in the nest and the truth is in the At some point you say to yourselves, we're going to go out and find these songs, meet people who will teach us these songs. That's that's the mission, right? Yeah, for sure. How much of a plan was there beyond that? Like, we're going to go to this city, I'm going to talk to that guy because mm-hmm. he might have a song. How does that, how does that work? Mm-hmm. It wasn't any of that. It was very <clears throat> spontaneous. We didn't think, we didn't, when we did it, the intention wasn't necessarily to even make an album. Okay. This feels, this album to me is a product of what we spent the last few years of our life doing just naturally. And it felt like mm-hmm. it was time for us to record an album. And before, cause I think I'd say first and foremost, I, at least for myself, I'm a songwriter and Danny is a songwriter as well. But we are, we are, I think our songs are, are so influenced by the folk ballad tradition yes. and influences who we are <laughs> as songwriters that it felt only appropriate for our next album to be a reflection of what we did over the last few years yeah. on going on these these travels and meeting all these people. I mean, it, every every song that we've learned was was 
was learned we learned from someone abroad and in person in person there's yeah. a, there's one or two in here that aren't but everyone every other has yeah i'd like to say that i think it's great to learn from recordings as well and there's so sure. much you know so much goodness in that and also i love remembering where i was when i heard a song or you know i can Music brings us us to smells and feelings in places so easily, and you know it's held in the essence of the song. And when I sing the song, I immediately get brought back to that place. Yes, and that's such an incredible feeling. It's yeah, it's like a placeholder, a memory holder that truly brings me to that place as much as I possibly could without actually being there. Yeah. And so every time I sing Bonnie at Morn, I go to the Orkney Islands where we learned that song. Yeah. I remember the faces that were around me and the scene, and I get, yeah, I get to feel that. We sang that song to our son when he was born. Mm. I remember singing that song to him. I remember all the feelings and the sensations, and yeah, and you know, like you don't get that as much when you learn from a recording, but I still love to learn from recordings right. too. And, and yeah, like Ian said, some of these songs are really common songs, yet we have a connection to them because we, we learned them from this person at this place and, and it has a story and it has meaning to us. Yeah. You, mentioned, you mentioned the fact you're both songwriters and here you are doing this project. <clears throat> Let's dig into that a little bit. How you think about this project in terms of your own creative process, right? Is this song discovery and interpretation integrated into your songwriting selves or do you think of it as two separate things i write original songs and sometimes i do this other thing. yeah you know my songwriting and i think ian's as well is very influenced by the sounds of music from appalachia scotland scotland ireland england and yeah, so for us, it was really natural to want to make an ode to, you know, the music that really influences our writing. Yes. And we also really love to craft arrangements. We really thrive in that. And so to take a bit of a song and then craft the arrangement is such a process for A us. creative process. Major creative process. Right. And and that's how it works with our original songs. I'll write something that has the structure, the bones. I could perform it solo. I'll bring it to Ian. We'll take it to another place as the duo. Right. And he'll have tons of ideas, and we'll create this bridge and this m- melodic part, and the you know it'll be totally different and yes. not the way we do it as a duo. Perhaps not a, now a solo song anymore. Yes. So it's a total process. You're describing a parallel process between the two things. One, the bones of the song were yours, and in this case, the bones of the song are the traditional yeah, recording. Exactly. But they end up going through the same... The same treatment, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of how, how we work. In, in general, one of us brings a song that can be played from start to finish by themselves. It's like, okay. it's like the anchor. Yes. It's a starting place. And sometimes by, by the time we bring it to each other, the end expression is quite different yeah. than when it entered the duo. Yeah. Which is, the, I think, for me, the most fun part. It's so incredible yeah. to get to bring a song to him, knowing that this whole other 
sound is going to come out of it and you know Ian will choose these really juicy chords and then all of a sudden <laughs> the song just sounds yeah. so different in a way that I would have never had that type of expression because that's Ian's expression just you know fusing with mine and yeah. it's it's so fun the yeah. the the crafting yeah. uh, of the arrangement of the song and and yeah just the duo part it's so fun so you have continued your songwriting probably during and after this project yeah. happened are there things you can point to that you've taken from the time you spent over there finding these songs spending time with them that have affected your personal songwriting practices I just I just feel like I through this process gained a lot of new tools deepened my understanding of both of the instruments I play and also my singing has developed in a new way mm-hmm. this is just the more I play and the more we create it's just opening up new doorways yes and so I I think where I'm at is that I feel like I have all these new tools that uh, oh like I could do that for this song right yeah so it's it just feels like new doors are have been opened and new flavors to choose from yeah I think I think it's inspired me to just be a little more devastating <laughs> nice. with my content interesting I mean I'm looking at this list and it's just like like the more murder ballads? Oh, that yeah, kind just of thing. absolutely <laughs> devastating. The son killing, the brother killing the brother, and the right. mother asking why the blood is all over the one son's shirt. And, you know, like, I mean, yeah, there's so many that are just like beautiful melodies, and then you, you kind of. So now, you, in. now you're going places with your writing you might not Yeah, maybe before. there needs to be more blood in my I'm, lyrics. I'm you in know? favor of more blood in your lyrics. So I'm just going to go on record right now. <laughs> I mean, half-joking, but also maybe there's something there. Let's talk about some of these songs on this record. And I want to start with the one that caught my attention at your show the other night. I had to go up and ask you afterwards about the story because Mm. there was no time in the 15-minute set to tell the story, but it's a good one. So let's talk about uh, Galway Shawl is the the song in question. I want to hear the story of this song, Discovery. We were in Southwest... Ireland, in County Cork, pretty in a in a small town out west of West Cork, and we were stopping for gas. We'd played the night before in this town called Ballydehob, and we were on our way out, getting gas. I ran across the street into what looked like a dilapidated hardware store, and it, it was a hardware store. But what I what I had found out it was run by a lady whose husband had died years ago, but she never cleaned up the hardware store. She stopped running it. She never ran it. When her husband died... Well, the stuff just sat there. It just sat there. Everything's covered in dust. It was kind of trippy, actually. Mm-hmm. But it seemed like over the years, people had like probably bought things, like nails and tools. Like There was many things on the shelf, but many things were gone. Right. And it was just like very... It was like a... It was like a grocery store that still had some things on the shelves, right. you know, and some fluff or very desirable things were gone. Yes, <laughs> and in the back of the of the shop, she started a laundromat. There was like four washing and drying machines, and we got into talking, and I had I had I'd gotten into the rhythm of asking people 
when I started meeting, if they knew, if they had any songs, or if they knew anyone that sang old ballads. And I was talking with her about that, and she was like, yeah, I do, I, I have a few. And she started singing Danny. I remember Danny coming in and being like, Ian, what are, you, what are you doing back here? We're, we're going. He's already back there recording. I'm like recording her, you know, and her mom's in the van, our kids. And oh, your mom was with you. Yeah, yeah. watching the kids because we were playing some shows that trip as well. And this woman was so kind and she, we spent like maybe 45 minutes and she was forgetting a lot of the lyrics. Yeah. And she said, oh, I really, this is inspiring me and I'm, I would love to, can I, can we do this again tomorrow? And we were like, I guess we don't have to be anywhere tomorrow. We were planning on going, but yeah, we're we, about could, to leave. we could stay. Yeah, let's, we'll meet you again here tomorrow. Okay. She came back prepared. She brought a friend. And we recorded for a couple of hours, all kinds of stuff. And then at the end of that, she said, and I am reminded of this woman who lives down the street. Kitty Oma... Kitty O'Mahony. Kitty O'Mahony. I'm always forgetting how to pronounce her last name. Kitty O'Mahony. You must meet Kitty. And she gave us directions. The directions were classic Irish directions. You go down, you take a left where the sheep are, yes. and go over the hill. There'll be a green field <laughs> on the right, and take your third right. By and, the boulder. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's true. That's it. She called over to Kitty and sent us. They'll be on their way. You know, and we there's like all these dirt roads and paved. We're like, which third? And we did yes. circles for a while. Finally got to Kitty's house, and we were greeted by Kitty and her husband, and they served us pie and tea, and we chatted for like 30 minutes. I think she was feeling us out, Yeah, you know, like just two Americans collecting songs, like what what our purpose was and our intention, and she was like, all right, I'm, okay, we're ready. Let's go into the other room. She's I'm going to sing now. Very, mm-hmm. very proper. Mm-hmm. And... You, you you take it from here about what she how she okay. went about it. So yeah, she took us into her sitting room and it was just Ian and I, the kids and my mom stayed in the van, and uh, yeah we she sat us down on the couch and she stood in the middle of the room, and she had her hands together and she was curly brown hair, very petite, very well dressed woman, and uh, she said, "I'm gonna sing for you now. That I have one rule: you can't look at me while I'm singing." Oh wow. And so I was looking at her feet the whole time, and I remember she was paddling her feet up and down. And, and you a, were recording her, though. And we recorded her. She yes. said it was okay. So, so we recorded her, and she sang for us for hours. Hours? Hours. hours. She had so many songs. Didn't oh, my gosh. Didn't miss a lyric, knew every melody, and it was totally just unaccompanied singing for hours. No wow. restarts. She talked about history of the song. Were you, did you... Raise your eyes at any point to to look at her, or were you looking at the feet? Well, for we two could hours? look at her when she was talking, <laughs> okay. just not when she was singing. Okay. And uh, well, well, I guess Ian. So later, I got later at the end. I was like, Ian, did you see how she was paddling her feet the whole time? And Ian's like, No. I was like, well, Really? And then and then we and I was like, Yeah. Well, I wasn't looking at her. And, and anyway, I guess Ian didn't hear the get the oh. mem- get the like don't like. Uh, the I got the memo. whole picture. Yeah, he got, she was singing with her eyes closed because I never, I never. Oh, yeah, so she was singing oh, with her so eyes she closed. Didn't catch you. So she yeah. didn't even realize mm. if we were seeing looking at her. But <laughs> I just never remembered her saying, "You're not allowed to look at me." But but this song. So this song. So so we had that really nice time with her, and she was talking to us about how she knew these songs, 
and she said that they didn't get electricity until the 80s hmm. in her with her you know in her life so they did a, there was like radio and they sang together and so this was just music that their family would sing together and yes. she wasn't a pub singer she didn't perform but um yeah it was later that uh, two years later i think that <clears throat> our year that i looked at, back into those recordings you know we got back from the trip and we were exhausted and like dove into our life you know right and uh and then i was like oh, i'm gonna check those recordings out i remember there was that one song that really stood out to me what was that and i dug through and listened back and it was the galway shawl that I remember that I really loved of those recordings and I li- kept listening to it and I was singing along and and learning and I kind of was thinking wouldn't it be cool to sing along to this recording and share this recording with people because right. the recording was perfect her pitch everything was perfect and her style mm. so it was just it's very it, I I taught in this Appalachian um at this Appalachian uh, like workshop camp thing for for youth, and I did this for them there. I sang this song okay. with the recording, and the the folks there said, "This sounds like an Appalachian singer," which I thought was really interesting That's and cool because she's from Ireland, you and it was like the they yeah. felt it, right? You know, they, yes. they said, "Whoa!" Like the way, and it's true. Like some of her, you know, her subtleties and her specific ornaments have a very clear it sounds really similar yes. and uh but yeah we i so you I, made the decision in this album to include her voice as yeah. the introductory part of this song yes right? the only way we do this song yeah. is always with kitty starting it out mm-hmm. and then we play along to it and tell her story it's fast i saw you do it the other night with holding the phone up for the recording at the as the intro to the song and yeah. uh, it's it's very moving yeah. yeah, we won't do it without her. Yeah, no, we won't. Seriously. And we're gonna see her this summer. Oh, great! We're playing and in the same town. I yeah. So I wrote oh, her. We have a gig in her we town. We do. Yep, in her town. Is she gonna come? I hope so. I are you gonna I, tell her not to look at you while you're singing? No, <laughs> I was thinking it'd be cool to do it together in live. But oh yeah, get her to sing with her you. To come out. That be yeah. yeah, I had to track her down to even ask permission because we started doing right. this live. And we did a bunch of times, and folks really loved it. And I and I was like, oh, I should ask for, I should reach out and make sure she's cool with this. Yes. And then we also realized we wanted to record it too, and so I didn't know how to get a hold of her. And uh, I found an email of someone who lived in that town next and, to the rock by the yeah, field. Yeah. Anyway, I described this lady as a, we met this lady. We recorded a song. She had brown hair, and like it was a really vague re- yes. description. And he goes, Oh, that's Kitty Omahone. He, he gave me her address, and I wrote her a letter, wow. and I thought, this is my one chance, you know, to make a good impression, and just be like, hey, can we use your song? Can we record it? Is this okay with you? And you, you stood by the, by the uh, mailbox waiting for her response, right? Yeah, I was I nervous, and yeah. I spent, I wrote an eight-page letter talking about her life, and I was like, look, wow. we're folk musicians, we're not going to make any money, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, it's not about that, <laughs> and she wrote back a sweet letter, and she's like, of course, use it however you want. Oh, that's yeah. a great yeah. part of the story. <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things, right, we, we, we become almost attached to, like, <clears throat> We couldn't imagine recording this song without her at this right. point because we had been performing it with her, and yeah. it just felt like without <clears> that, it, it wouldn't be appropriate. Like it just it was birthed from her. 
What a great and participating with her. What a great story. No, you can just you can just introduce the song. My next song is the God of Here and more in the county Galway. I spied an damsel. She was fair and handsome. Her beauty fairly took my breath away. She wore no jewels, no costly diamonds, no With a ribbon on it And around her shoulder Wore the Galway shawl We kept on Let's talk about another one. Took note of this song, Pretty Polly. Yeah. There's a Woody Guthrie in, uh, involvement here. Can you talk about your version of this song and, and how it came about? Yeah. Yeah, so that one uh, I, I brought to the, the table... As originally, yeah, I started working on on the banjo, and I really liked Pretty Polly, and some of the the different Appalachian versions of it, and and lyrics. And I was researching. There's lots of different lyrics, and there's actually a few different melodies as well okay. to that one. <clears throat> and I had, I knew of uh, Woody Guthrie's song called Pastures of Plenty, and I loved the melody of that. I had noticed and. And then I realized it was the same melody. Okay. That Woody Guthrie took the melody, Pretty Polly, and then changed, wrote his own lyrics to it, which a lot of folk singers yes. have done. And uh, and then it made me think, ooh, wouldn't it be interesting to take some of the story, Woody Guthrie's story, and merge it with the Pretty Polly mm. ballad and create a new story? Yeah. And so I... I took the beat, somewhat of somewhat of the beginning of the Pretty Polly story, because in the Pretty Polly, they these two fall in love and they make a baby, and then the the Willie freaks out and decides to like take her into the woods and kill her. Sure, and then she, yeah, and then she go he goes off to sea, and then she haunts them, and you know, there's lots of different subtle versions, but that's the basics. Yes. But Woody Guthrie has this all this like beautiful imagery and all you know his whole story about like dignity of migrant workers and so different just the, the energy of that. Yes. And I thought, Ooh, like I'm gonna change the ending and have Willie be like own own up own up to what he did, you know, own up to this woman. And, it's a redemption story. And bring mm-hmm. bring her in yeah. and you know have this good integrity and just feel solid and decide to go for it and yeah. so. He takes her out into the woods, and in the moment, he drops the dagger and, and says, let's go, and we're going to dig beets, and we're going to work the land, and we're going to raise this baby, and we're going to tend the land for our future, the future generations, which is you know, our child and beyond. Okay, this is a good a place to, to bring up a question I have. Can you talk about your place, or maybe more generally, the place of contemporary songwriters in the traditional say, folk music landscape. So 
how do you see writing new songs taking their place in this tradition of music where songs are handed down? Yeah, I think it's about creating creating stories that are relevant to our modern culture. To be, you know, there's two ways to go about it, and that's, I mean, there's probably infinite ways to go about it, but... Otherwise, I, I wouldn't have a job. <laughs> I, think, I think of two. <laughs> One being... <laughs> that's very true. <laughs> One being to write songs as if they sound like a traditional song. Right. Utilizing terminology and vocabulary from an older time and trying to create that song that sounds like it came from 1900. Or, and I think that that comes from specifically in the content, of, in the story. And then there's writing, writing songs that are based upon the culture that exists now but could still sonically have the flair of an old ballad. Mm-hmm. And both equally valid. Both approaches. equally valid. And I think with with our project as fellow Pinans, I think we tend to, in our own songwriting for this project, tend to write songs that perhaps sound like they could be from a different time and utilizing that. Almost like just borrowing melodies and it just feels like taking pieces mm. it's like a collage our songs feel like collages of songs that we've learned and been exposed to and then mix mixing up lyrics and stories and it all kind of just feels like the same song all the guts just re rearranged and presented in a new way yeah and like in these old in these songs you now even as in new songs Kind of bridges to Son David a bit, I think. Yeah, let's talk about the song Son David then. Yeah, Son David, I, th- I would say is, I think it's the oldest song that we know of, I think, on this album. Okay. I think that it was the first documented version was like mid-1700s. Okay. But as as a lot of these, and specifically that one, Son David is child bowed 13, I believe. It's a very old very old one. Would you say that again? It's Child Ballad 13. So there's these ch- child ballads, right, that are ballads collected by a man, Sir Francis Child. Okay. And, yeah, it was, you know, like the Grimm's. They weren't writing the stories. They were just collecting them and documenting them, putting them in writing for the first time okay. and, and traveling around the country and going to remote places just to just to collect these songs. Yep. And Son David is one of the oldest ones that, that he collected, and they you know, think that it was sung for hundreds of years before it was collected. I mean, who really knows, you know? Right. I mean, it's just beautiful to think of the ambiguity of, of these songs and how much they've changed in a traveler passing through a town and learned a new song but couldn't remember any verses besides verse 2 and 3 and filled in all the blanks. Maybe... Maybe that the singer couldn't hit the high register, so change the melody. Right, and it just they just morph. The happenstance of history, yes. Yeah, yeah. it's inevitable how, how they just evolve. And so, how did you find this one, Son David? I think the first time I heard it was from a duo in which are friends of ours now called the Brothers Gillespie from Northumberland, okay, in Northern England, 
beautiful song interpreters and songwriters themselves. And they have a version of this. It's it's much more it's a cappella, I think, the way they do it. Yeah, two brothers. Beautiful. It's it's about this this man comes home and the mother's like, What is all this blood all over you? And he, he lies a few times and said, It's the blood of my grey greyhound and then the mom's like, No, it's it's too it's too red, too thick or something to be from your hound. Where, where is this blood from? He says, it's from my my horse. And she's like, no, it's not that. And then he finally fesses up and says, I, I killed my brother because mm. my brother attacked me. The younger brother attacked the older brother because the older brother, I think, was getting the estate or something. Okay. And the, the younger brother wanted to kill him. And the older brother ended up killing him because of self-defense or something. And he was so so in pain from what just happened that it ends with I'm going away on a to sail I'm sailing away on a bottomless boat and I'll return when the sun and the moon meet mm. in Yon Glen, which will never happen. Right. He's going away. He's gonna perhaps I mean it could be interpreted many ways. And but he's going away probably to take his own life because he's in so much pain from what happened. Yeah, our this song has got what? 13, I mean, many different renditions, in, even in the child ballad. So what did you do with it? Yeah, so we changed it extremely. And so in general, with all these songs, we haven't changed the melody. Okay. So a lot of these songs are probably sung a cappella. We haven't changed any of the melodies, so they would be sung similarly without the adornment of a harmony or backing chords right. of a guitar. You know, we've we've retained the melody as as it's commonly known these days. But it, the, when you add a harmony, and depending on the chords that we choose, it just changes the feel completely. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we really love to do: is that process is taking, keeping a melody as we've known it, but choosing different notes to harmonize with vocally and choosing different chords just completely changes the color of it. And this one specifically, we probably removed, I think we only sing three verses. Out of the 13 plus. Oh, yeah. yeah. 13, we really 20. pared this yeah. one down. Wow. Three, to three verses. And this <clears throat> one is very much about the instrumental arrangement. It, okay. it starts with two verses. She sings the first verse from the mother's perspective. She's the mother and I and the son okay. answering. And then we sing the third in harmony. And... We are a duo, and we perform and tour as a duo. But this album does have quite a bit of additional instrumentation from friends of ours from around the United States and Europe. Okay. And this one specifically got extra attention on the arrangement. There's three musician friends of ours from based in Brooklyn, all jazz Brooklyn or uh, Berkeley musicians, okay. and. Yeah, this one has upright bass, violin, trumpet, trombone, set drums, and some extra extra production work even to make some strange tones. And this is Yeah, so this one was particularly fun to arrange because we knew we wanted to do give it extra ornaments. Mm -hmm. 
been at this a little while. I don't want to take up too much of your time. I want to ask you one, maybe two more questions, but maybe then get you to play a song for us Great. from the record. We've talked earlier before we were recording about your lifestyle, and you alluded to this. You to live off the grid in tiny houses in Oregon, right? Mm-hmm. So do you feel that leading an intentional, simple life integrates into the creative process for you? Is it part of, do you think, as part of your lifestyle influencing your creative process? Absolutely. For me, I've always known that I thrive having time traveling and connecting with people, and that's touring really does that for me playing shows, being in towns, cities, interacting a lot, gathering new information, learning new songs, getting book and movie recommendations, like just all sorts of, you know, it's like the exchanges are happening. And I'm offering whatever it is I'm offering. And then to go back to a quiet place where I don't have that, where I can integrate Mm. what I learn, study, practice create new songs, create something that I feel like I have something new to offer next time I go out into the world. Right. It's it's kind of these two extremes that balance each other out. And I thrive in both places. It's but only if I have both. Yes. Equally. Yeah. yeah. I, I find that interesting because some people say, oh, I'm an introvert or I'm an extrovert. And very few people are yeah. one or the other. And yeah. I think it is helpful, like you say, when we acknowledge that we kind of, most of us, need both of those things, but it sounds like you are self-aware enough to be able to use that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we are on both introverts and extroverts just to varying degrees. Right. Some need more alone time to <clears throat> fill up the reservoir than others, but we all need some alone time. Maybe yes. it's just a teeny bit, but <laughs> some people just love to be around people all the time. I may need some alone time after this weekend. <laughs> oh my God, I know. <laughs> So I was just thinking that. I was like, almost everyone is playing guitar and singing. And I was just like, it's. It, I think it is brilliant how it's like cooking with only two ingredients. Mm. Like you're only cooking with butter and noodles. And how there's so many different end products yes. of song and expressions with just the same two, a human voice yeah. and a six-string guitar. Yeah. And just what we do with that. It is just inspiring how... Yeah, there's so many different ways to interpret uh, that. I'm going to leave it there for right now. I've really enjoyed this conversation, and I'm so glad that the universe brought us together today. Right? Mm-hmm. Mike, the feeling is mutual. Yeah. 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 Um, I'm going to try and see your show tonight, but I encourage everyone, you're all going to be out there touring behind this record a little bit. I encourage people to go to your website and find out when you will be in a town near them because it's quite an experience to see you play live. I, I, I can't recommend it enough. Thank you. Let's see if we can get a song together that it works. It'll be part of this episode. Lovely. And uh, Let's nail it. we'll see what happens. Great. Sweet. What Great. do you want to play? Go for you play it. It's called Pretty Bali. <laughs> Oh, oh, oh. 